Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome to the Football Chop Podcast. I'm Will, and with me, as always... Hello, hello, it's Ben. How are we? Yeah, well, good mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Looking forward to this week. Really looking forward to this one. Yes, me too. Another special. What is this, the fourth one? It is. We're getting a bit of a habit for this now, in the off-season, keeping us busy so we can have a little break. Yeah. Well, enjoy the weather. It's sunny, isn't it? Absolutely. Make the most of it. Um, we have on today, Rohan Banerjee. Do you want to introduce yourself and uh, tell the listeners a little bit about you, mate? Hi guys, thanks very much for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm Rohan Banerjee. I'm a journalist based in London. Um, I've written across uh, sport, politics and culture and how these subjects link together. Um, written for a host of publications, including The Times, The Telegraph and The New Statesman. And yeah, really looking forward to having a chat today. Awesome. Impressive CV. Right. Impressive CV. Um, <laughs> let's, we'll put all the, the sort of sports side and football side uh, to one side for a sec. Obviously, that's why we've got you on here, of course. Um, but I mean, first, obviously, you and I, we, we obviously went to school together as well, uh, way back in, in the Chatham House days. Um, so did you know Hogwarts. at school that you wanted to go? Do you call us a boffin? No, I called you Hogwarts. Oh, Hogwarts. Because you had house names, didn't you? That, that for me is like Hogwarts. Yeah, we did have a tower as well. So that was yeah. really cool. Um, but at school, did you know you wanted to kind of go into the, the sort of journalism route? Was that something uh, you always had I'm... in mind? Yeah, I would say so. I think uh, there wasn't a lot of strategic thinking beyond, uh, you know, beyond thinking, what is it that interests me, which was sport and politics? And what do I like doing, which is writing? So (laughs) it was a pretty it was a pretty simple equation of just adding those two uh, together and then seeing if somebody would be kind enough to pay me for it. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Well, it seems to to have paid off quite nicely for you so far. So that's amazing. Um, so I guess from the journalism days, you know, talk us through what your, your sort of first role was and how it actually came into the, the more sort of sports side, obviously, that you've done more recently as well then. Well, I actually started in sport. Um, so I was, at, I was at University of York for my undergrads where I got involved in the student newspaper, which is usually the traditional route to uh, being involved in journalism. Uh, I went to Durham afterwards to do a master's, again, involved in the student newspaper there. Uh, did a lot of internships, um, made contacts, sent emails, uh, wrote for free to begin with, which was uh, oh, wow. <laughs> that okay. was that was certainly a uh, that was certainly a reality check. Couldn't have done it without uh, help from friends and family, you know, letting me sofa surf in the early days. Uh, my first kind of major paid role actually was um, was doing freelance shifts on sports desks, like just doing little tidbit news tidbits of news and sub editing um i worked across the daily mail the daily mirror um metro and i did that for about two years um just kind of feeding off the scraps of whatever sports desk would give me um then after about two years uh went to the new statesman as a staff writer finally on a full-time gig 
And I think it was there that I realised that I wanted to write more broadly. So I still wrote about sport a bit, but mainly it was about politics and wider culture. But since since moving on, worked for different titles. Um, I wouldn't describe myself as a sports journalist now. I would describe myself as a politics and business journalist who still retains an interest in sport. And okay. to be honest, there's a lot of politics and business in sport. So there's never a shortage of things to write about. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, especially with uh, the amount that's going on with you know FFP, brings politics into play you know the, the Newcastle takeover obviously was was quite a, a contentious one to say the least um obviously the the Man City buyout etc stuff's going on with Man United you know politics come into play a lot there as well I suppose isn't it yeah I think um you know while I have some sympathy for the sentiment to keep politics out of football because people do just want to enjoy the game I think that that uh, the luxury of that distance has long since been rescinded. I think now uh, politics is part of football and it's a reality that we have to accept. Um, whether we, whether that means, you know, owning some of the hypocrisies that we might indulge in ourselves or whether it means confronting them head on, that will depend on the, on the person. But yeah, certainly political football has new meaning now. Mm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I guess, you know, throughout your... Your, your career to date I imagine you've obviously met with with some pretty sort of high profile people obviously conducted interviews wrote stories about them is there anything I guess we'll, we'll kind of leave potentially a little bit more sports uh, related just for, for obviously the listeners of course is there anyone sort of particularly that stood out for you sort of interesting story or interesting conversations or a wow factor for you personally um yeah I mean I There isn't a lot of routine, um, and that, that's one of the things that keeps me involved in it. Uh, on sports specifically, um, ironically, like the two years that I was a freelance sports journalist, I, I very rarely did out-of-office work. It was all shift work and sub-editing. But when I left sports desks, I actually ended up interviewing more characters within the game of football than when I was actually on the desk. Um, so a couple that stand out, uh, I was lucky enough to interview Roy Hodgson um, during his last stint at Crystal Palace. He was a gentleman, oh, um, very intelligent guy, uh, very intelligent guy, great interviewee, um, had a lot to say about uh, a lot to say about the, you know, kind of ostensible glass ceiling on mid-table clubs um, and why, despite that, he still remained very passionate about his club and the game of football, despite the fact that, you know, the big six did tend to dominate at that point. I think that was 2018. Um, and then also uh, was lucky enough to interview Michael Carrick um, in his last season at Man United, one of my all-time favourite players. Um, again, a very interesting interview. Uh, he spoke quite openly about the mental health of elite sportsmen because the difference is that, um, you know, when you or I have a bad day at work, it's largely contained to ourselves, our friends and our family. Whereas if Michael Carrick had a bad day at work, everyone knew about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God, that's that's fascinating. Just uh, you know, for us, obviously, we're we're nowhere near, uh, obviously, the level you are in terms of, like the reporting and and the writing. Of course, you know, we're just doing a you know small time presenting here, but you know, some of the stories must be incredible. Yeah, you know, just even just you know seeing Roy Hodgson in the flesh, for example, and you know having a chat with him or on teams and things. You know, for for us at the moment, it seems surreal. So, is there ever a sort of like pinch yourself moment when you you sort of meet in and, and interviewing these? you know, high-profile, high-profile people? Oh, I don't know about, um, I don't know about pinch yourself moment because I think the thing is, um, look, journalism is a, is a job that I enjoy. I enjoy the activity of meeting people, telling their, you know, listening to their stories and then being the conduit for them to tell them. Like, I do enjoy that. But you don't really have, an, you don't really have time to indulge in being starstruck because you've got a job to do. But in terms of like stuff that I've just enjoyed doing, um, off, not necessarily off the back of uh, like the day job, but just kind of being at things. Uh, I went to a conference that was hosted by Kick It Out, um, the anti-racism charity, a few years ago, and I got to miss, meet, meet Chris Hewton there. Um, I didn't, oh, wow. I didn't interview him. I didn't interview him, but I had a casual chat with him afterwards, and. I was very grateful for the opportunity as a Newcastle fan to meet somebody that I admired and was very grateful for the job that he did at Newcastle and also listen to him, you know, kind of more intimately about his feelings about being at the time, the only black manager in the league. Um, Obviously we've now had a couple more, but you know, I just, I, I felt really lucky to be in the room with him and having that conversation. And 
you know, it was it was nice to it was nice to, you know, basically be able to contribute to conversations that he would end up having later down the line. So, yeah, I, I mean, those kind of moments I'm always very grateful for. Um, and certainly like, you know, being able to go to certain events. I mean, I didn't go to a lot of a lot of matches, to be honest, because, um, you know, sport has largely been a side a side hustle for me. But mm. yeah, just all sorts of uh, events and interviews. It's always nice to travel with work. Um, and it's, And particularly that's something I'm more grateful for now kind of like post lockdown and stuff you never take it for granted again yeah absolutely no i I completely uh completely agree with you from the travel perspective you know lockdown was you know from a mental health side as well was challenging for everybody Mm -hmm. and you know if you do have the opportunity to get out a little bit yeah it might be a long day from time to time but it's so worth it especially just going out seeing new people you know going to a different place and you know clearing your mind i suppose as well yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, as I say, I'll, ne- I'll never take it for granted again. And the fact that my job is different every day is the thing that whenever I whenever I find myself, you know, tired or exhausted or, you know, not wanting to necessarily finish it off something, I just remind myself that, um, you know, this was the alternative. Uh, this was the welcome alternative to just being, you know, more robotic about work. Hmm. No, it makes, uh, makes perfect sense. Um, so you touched on that you've not been to, to many games, uh, obviously, you know, recently. Have you been to any in the season that's just, just finished? Well, actually, uh, so as a journalist, I didn't go to that many games. As a fan, I tried to go, I tried to go as much as possible. Um, when, I was in, uh, when I was in Durham, my one year living in the northeast, it was a lot easier to get to games. Mm-hmm. Um, since moving to London, I always tried to get to away games when Newcastle were playing against London clubs. Um, or maybe do the odd game like Brighton away and usually one or two home. Um, in the last two seasons, uh, COVID notwithstanding, it's been quite uh, quite difficult. The demand for tickets is higher than it's ever been. Uh, the two tickets the two tickets I did manage this season were Arsenal away and Palace away, both of which were nil nil draws. So I think, it's, I think it's probably better if I don't go if I don't go to Newcastle games. To be honest. <laughs> What was the um, what, what's the the atmosphere like? Obviously, at, at away games for especially for Newcastle at the moment, because obviously throughout the season you guys have just been, you know, absolutely you know outstanding in moments, which obviously we'll come on to you know shortly. But what's the atmosphere been like for you from the away end? It's to be honest, it's been a, an absolute step change uh, since the takeover. The level of enthusiasm, the level of uh, the le- level of enthusiasm and optimism has skyrocketed in the away end. Um, I think even according to the most ambitious Newcastle fans' timeline, nobody expected us to be as successful as we have been in such a short period of time. Mm. Uh, I think at the start of the season, I said I would have. Ta- I said to my mates, I would have taken between seventh and tenth. Um, you know, just improving one league position on last year. Um, the atmosphere has been great. You know, the mood has completely altered. Um, you know, again, uh, political uh, political situation aside, um, just on the in purely football terms, it's been lovely to watch and lovely to be part of. Um, I think there was a you know there was a, a growing apathy among the Newcastle fan base, particularly under. Uh, well, under Ashley in the last few months of it, um, you know, going to the game felt like more of a chore. Uh, whereas now, you know, it's so hard to get tickets because everyone's desperate to be a part of it. Even if it's, you know, even if you go to one or two games a season, people just want to have that one match day experience. It hasn't been like that for a very, very long time. It's been like that. Being an Arsenal fan as well, you you just can't buy a ticket, this, especially this last season. I wonder if it'll get easier next season, especially with Champions League football now for Newcastle. I bet you're pleased with that. I, I, I mean, I would like to say more games create more opportunities. That that would that would be the ideal scenario. But I honestly think um, they're just going to sell out. Like, I mean, the stadium the stadium is big in the sense that you know it's one of the five or six biggest. But the demand is going to grow, mm. and like the club are going to have to take that on board when it comes to, I mean, there's a constant, there's a constant online debate about who's the most worthy match goer versus, you know, because there's, there's fans that stuck with the club throughout the Ashley era. There's some people who jacked in their season tickets. There's also, you know, things rarely make their way to general sale. Like the only way that I'm able to attend the games that I do is because I'm part of an organization called the London Magpie group, which is a sort of syndicate of Newcastle fans based in London there's an arrangement with season ticket holders where we get a portion of tickets. But um, again, it's first come, first served. It's not really, 
it's not easy to just go to a Newcastle game. But I'm sure that's I'm, I'm sure that's the same for a number of clubs. Um, it's just the fact that we weren't one of those clubs for so long. I think it's slightly different, isn't it, when you when you look at Newcastle as a team because. In London, Birmingham, Manchester, you know Liverpool, you've got more than one club for one city. Whereas Newcastle, you don't really tend to have that, do you? You've got what? You've got everyone tends to support Newcastle who live in Newcastle, so they're all going to want to go to St James's Park. Yeah, there's definitely that's definitely true that the uh, the spread of football fans in the northeast, um, particularly in Newcastle and its closest kind of towns and villages. Um, they are mainly Newcastle fans. Uh, obviously, the next nearest club, the next nearest big club would be Sunderland. But Sunderland's, at, I think, it's 15 miles away. So, <laughs> uh, you know, so that's quite a distance. Like when you think about other derbies, you know, like uh, I think it's 13 or 15 miles away. Like that is quite a quite a gap in between. And now there is a renewed interest in Newcastle. I mean, Newcastle in the 90s and 2000s, um, they were a lot of people's second team. I don't think that we benefit from such a such a kind perception nowadays. Um, I think you know largely to do with the the origins of them, the, our nouveau riche status. Um, but I think there was an element of like even people as far out as say uh, Durham or York, um, there was like an interest in Newcastle because you know they were you know Durham's only fifteen minutes away, York's about an hour away, and Newcastle at the time were this you know fun, entertaining club in the nineties and the early noughties. Um, and people stuck with us. I definitely remember those teams. I used to love watching Newcastle against Man United. It was always going to be great. Even the nil-nils were great. Yeah, I mean, you know, I started supporting Newcastle in the 90s. Um, my, uh, I've got some family who live in Jesmond, uh, one of the suburbs up there. They're still there. Obviously, going to the university up north kind of just um, amplified that interest. Um always liked Newcastle, um, just like from visiting the city. I think as a kid, I was fascinated at the at the whole idea of like lots of people being dressed the same way. I needed to I needed to know why is everyone wearing a black and white T-shirt? It just fascinated <laughs> me. Um, and then, you know, we had I think we lent ourselves uh, we lent ourselves to the PlayStation generation, like because we had a lot of exciting players. You know, it's not Newcastle unless there is a flashy French winger that divides opinion. And we've had that through Ginola, through Robert, uh, through Ben Arthur, through Sam Maximan. Um, there was something about there was something about the kind of gung ho style of Newcastle's football that was appealing. Um, we were simultaneously both a big club but also an underdog, and it was a weird juxtaposition, you know, because we always got we always got nearly there, but never quite. You know, we were an almost there club. Um, you know, I watched us lose successive FA Cup finals, reach the um, reach the UEFA Cup semi-final, and then be torn apart by Didier Drogba. And I always thought in that period, you know, of playing European football for 13 out of 16 seasons before Ashley, I always thought, okay, well, we're almost there, and eventually we will get there. And then over the course of the Ashley era, it went from being almost there to being nowhere near, two relegations, and becoming a husk of a club that you know, only really existed to serve its owner's ambitions, which were limited to you know, commercial revenue, free advertising, but no real interest in the football side of things or the, or the, community, the community aspect of the club. Fair enough. Mm. So, yeah. And, and what do you think of the new takeover? So since Ashley's gone, what's your take on the takeover from the Saudis? Uh, well, as a left-leaning person um i've definitely had to do some reconciliation of my own uh my own politics and morals and values um, um you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sit here and satisfy the aim of sports washing which is to trivialize it mm-hmm. um you know I, I i take on board all of the criticisms towards saudi ownership and would agree with it um but i would also say that it is wrong how the um it is wrong how the finger has been pointed at the fan base uh, when in fact, in fact, this problem of state ownership in football, um, the touch paper was lit by the Premier League themselves years ago. They, you know, the precedent was set for Manchester City. Mm-hmm. There is very little regulation in football. Financial fair play is lip service and nothing else. Um, yeah. So you can't really blame you can't really blame uh, 
nefarious actors and state agents you can't really blame them for seeing football as an opportunity to exploit soft power and the difference between football and other businesses as saudi arabia looks to divest from from oil with its investments in disney uber etc the difference with football is that football buys you a cachet uh, in western society that is incomparable to anything else um football fans are almost um insanely tribal it's the only industry where a product can get worse and loyalty can be maintained. If you went to a restaurant and the food got worse, you stopped going. You go to, you know, there's a there's an excellent article in the Journal of Market Research um, called in 1997 called the West Ham Syndrome, where they said that West Ham sold more season tickets the season after getting relegated than when they were in the Premier League. So, you know, in what other industry does that in what other industry does that happen other than football? So, yeah. So I understand why. Uh, PIF uh, Borders. I understand their ambitions with it. I don't need to. I don't need to be a, a, a spokesperson for Saudi. I don't need to. I don't need to support the actions of the Saudi state. In fact, I would say the vast majority of Newcastle fans don't. Mm -hmm. But I also think that fans can't be held responsible for the actions of billionaires. I also think that you know, uh, if I'm being honest, a lot of the outrage and the um, negative comments towards Newcastle fans are quite performative. And if this had happened to another club, um, we would be seeing the same things. You know, you're always going to get idiots that put tea towels on their heads and say offensive things on Twitter. What I would urge is when people see that, it's not representative of all Newcastle fans. It certainly isn't representative of myself or any of my friends. Um, but at the same time, you know, we are the one thing we are guilty of is supporting the club before the takeover and it's very hard to walk away and I, I would i would challenge anyone to be so in love with their club and then just you know flick it off like a light switch when something unpopular happens that you have no control over but i would also say that you can have that position and not be not be uh, an unofficial spokesperson for saudi arabia you've got no obligation to do that you can support the team without supporting the regime I completely yeah. agree and that's happening lots in football everywhere isn't there i mean like you say manchester city started it that doesn't mean that Manchester City fans are going to believe in, you know, the ownership that that is running the club. And and the same will be for Man United as they go through their takeover as well with, a, you know, the Qatari group that's looking to, to buy the club. Um, but no, that's a fair point. What do you think about uh, Eddie Howe then and your season in general for getting that kind of... Well, I think, you know, political caveats aside, mm. um, and I use the word caveat quite personally there, I think, because um, they are tremendous caveats. But if we are just to talk about it in pure football terms, uh, since the takeover, I have very little, very little football criticisms to direct to the club. And, um, you know, Eddie Howe, uh, Eddie Howe was not my first choice for Newcastle manager, nor was, was he many, many people's. I think, to be honest, at the time, I was convinced that we were going to get a high-profile name. Uh, I think at the time, Conte was unemployed. I was quite keen on Conte, and I was very keen when we got close to Unai Emery as well. Mm. Uh, how was... It would be wrong for me to call him an underwhelming choice because I had a lot of respect for the job he did at Bournemouth, but it was... I don't know, like, it didn't... It, 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 if you'd have told me that he was going to come in, save us from relegation, go on some mad unbeaten run, and then the following season deliver Champions League football, I would have, <laughs> <laughs> I would not have believed that. But he's come in, he's come in, he's defied, defied any um, any preconceptions people had of him uh, as being a manager that can't defend. Um, I think that we had either the best or joint best defence in the league. Like with its history the community aspect of it we play you know we play both we we play functional football when we need to and we can grind out nil nils as i, th I think um arsenal found to their chagrin last year uh, but we can also play fashionable football and we can tear teams apart um like we did with spurs with the 6-1 so you yeah, know from that, a football that was lovely that was lovely just want to add that <laughs> from a football i'm happy to talk about that again <laughs> yeah and, and he's made some excellent signings i mean whether or not whether or not they're all his signings or whether they're done by committee, what he has really, really done that I found so impressive is he's taken um, limited players and he has pushed them to the absolute ceiling of their ability. And then players that were previously short on confidence, he has 
you know, breathe fresh life into him. The Jalinton transformation is staggering. That alone yeah. should be worthy of worthy of awards. I mean, this was a guy who was Jalinton had become a, a you know a figure of ridicule, and now he's one of the most versatile and effective players in the league. And I, I, and that is down to coaching. You know, yeah. so I mean, we mentioned it's, him. It's yeah, I mean, we mentioned Jalinton. I think it's sort of six, eight weeks ago on the show as well because. Didn't he buy him as a winger or a striker or something, if I remember rightly, initially? And he's now into well, he, sort of a midfield role and like a box-to-box. He was fine. So when he was at Hoffenheim playing under Nagelsmann, um, he uh, he played as a wide forward, as a you know kind of left winger, uh, but like also because he's quite a big lad, he was able to be a target man on the, on the left. Mm. Uh, he was signed and given the number nine shirt and was played as a centre-forward for his first season. And while you could tell that his physicality and ball control was there to hold the ball up, he was always, it was clear that he was never the main man. He was never the number nine that we wanted him to be. I think he had a horrible pressure put afforded uh, by his price tag. He yeah. didn't settle. And I think, yeah, about a year into his career, I think people were ready to write him off and um, write him off and just, you know, try and cut our losses. He then moved deeper into midfield and then all of a sudden, you know, being a six foot four, six foot three striker that he is, or six foot uh, four, three, very powerful, imposing presence on the pitch. He became, you know, just dominant in midfield. His tackling got better and again, confidence. And now this season, not only has he played in central midfield, he's also played wide left again with this renewed confidence. And he has added goals and assists to his games. He's never going to get 15, 20 goals a season. But he might get, as he did this season, he got eight goals, you know, six assists. Um, and on top of that, he's just a brute in midfield. And mm. as I say, you know, in the same way, if you'd have told me Eddie Howe was going to get his Champions League football after one season, if you'd have told me that Jalinton would be one of our key players, I would have never, ever expected <laughs> No, I, I, I totally totally agree. I mean, he's he's been fantastic for you guys. But I think, you know, I, I sort of second your point of, you know, Eddie Howe has improved so many, you know, dare I say, sort of bang average players as what they were classed as. You know, Joe Willock was was a little underwhelming at Arsenal. Went on obviously on loan for half a season, I believe, to you guys before signed permanently. Did absolutely fantastic, and then all of a sudden, he, you know, he's, he chips him with goals, chips him with assists, sets up some fantastic play, and then all of a sudden you think, this is Joe Willock. You know, you've got Longstaff, Dan Byrne, who's been Dan Byrne's an absolute beast, and you just think I he's think... one of the best in the league at the moment on form and things like that. I, I, yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, as I say, Eddie Howe has got limited players playing to the very top, top end of their uh, of their abilities. That You know, there are certain players who they themselves are, you know, top pedigree quality players. And it's obvious, like Bruno Guimaraes. Who were ostensibly signed as stopgap players just to like kind of, you know, improvers in weakened areas, but ended up you know, they came in as stopgaps, but end up becoming key players because they are just consistent. And the team, the team plays for the team. Like we don't, this is one of the reasons why, this is one of the reasons why maybe Sam Maximan might end up being moved on, mm. uh, unfortunately. Um, but now the system is more important than the individuals. And I think Howe's done that very, very well mm. in signing players who complement other players. And also, again, just giving them a belief that they didn't have. You know, Steve Bruce, one of the worst things he used to do was to really talk down the squad in his in his interviews. The game was lost before ball was kicked because he was he would just open press conferences by saying, you know, I need more, ignoring the fact that at the time before Howard arrived there, he was like, He was backed with he was backed with players that Benitez was never afforded, and he would just constantly complain about the limitations of his squad. If you're a, if you're a member of that dressing room, how are you going to feel? You're going to you're, you're going to you're going to feel like you're the best you can do is 17th, you know. And whereas you know Howe's come in and he never he never put targets he never put targets in terms of um, finishing fourth or fifth or whatever, but he did say that our driving motivation is to be better than we were last week. So, yeah. you know, you always look to improve. And I think that's been so refreshing for the fan base. Yeah, so I don't know whether you've listened to it, but I do try to listen to quite a few podcasts. And when he was having his sort of year out, um, obviously out of management and sort of re re rediscovering himself, he was on the Jake Humphrey podcast, the High Performance podcast. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I listened to that, I've listened to that about three or four times. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. And, you know, he's... The, the in-depth analysis Eddie Howe took upon himself, you know, I think whatever club he was going to go to, whether it was Newcastle, obviously, you know, post-takeover and things like that, where he has got few more resources available than he than he would have had previously <clears throat> excuse me but the the analysis and the sort of attention of, and you know attention to detail and focus he puts on the morale side of things the actual man management and actually knowing the player not just you know oh we, we, it's footballer we play this system you know everything he, he over analyzes everything and he's hypercritical with everything that he does as well as his team and I think from that he was always destined to be a success in my eyes just because of the, the the sheer passion he's got, you know, on top of that. I think the thing is why that fits in so well with Newcastle is Newcastle is a one club city and Newcastle as a fan base, we're obsessed. You know, everything, if you go out in the Northeast, um, even without knowing the result, you'll know whether Newcastle have won or lost based on the, <laughs> based on the mood around the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and that obsession is mirrored by Eddie Howe and he has brought that energy uh, that energy and enthusiasm, and it, it has not gone unnoticed because um, we love the fact that he's a workaholic. We love the fact that um, he, you know, pours over pours over every detail in such scrutiny. Um, you know, I, I love the fact that he's never content to uh, just accept something. It's always like, what can we do? What can we do better? Um, you know, though he won't come out and say it for you know uh, mind game reasons. He's not going to come out and say you know the target next season is third. But unofficially, internally, I would imagine that it is in his head. Mm. Um, you know, he's not gonna, he's not gonna go, he's not gonna, uh, he's not gonna be satisfied if he, if we do worse next season. As it happens, as a fan, I'm, I'm quite content with seventh next year. Like, I, I honestly, I really am. I'm just, I'm living in, I'm living in dreamland as it is. So, yeah. as far, you know, to keep, to keep my support, he doesn't have to do much beyond, you know, just exist, because <laughs> um, he's been such a, such a welcome change in manager. But, but I think from his, his own point of view, he will be thinking, who can we sign? What can we do differently? Okay, last season we only managed this amount of passes. What? How can we improve possession? I love the fact that he's obsessed because the mm. fan base is as well. Hi guys, make sure you're following us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter so you don't miss a thing. How could you? Instagram is at Football Drop Podcast. Twitter is at Football Drop Pod. Thanks Will for that. Or just search us on Facebook, Football Drop Podcast. Yeah, and I think that, that leads out into the players, as you said, the fan base as well. And it's it's just, it's mad to, to really think about as you said earlier, sort of a, a big club but an underdog. You're still happy with, with seventh next season, you know, despite the yeah. fact that you've had a fantastic season now. And I totally understand it because, you know, the, the, the journey and the process that the club have, are, are on at the moment, you know, nobody really expected you to be third and getting in Champions League, but it's a big step that you're taking now. So next season, yeah, there'll be extra games and things like that and it will be more travel that you're not necessarily used to. So I suppose that takes a toll as well. I think I think it's it, it, there was a bit of a media-made narrative established over the Ashley era that we were such an over-expectant fan base. Um, I completely reject that. Um, I don't think I don't think I think the base level expectation for any football ta- fan, or even sorry, base level hope for any football fan is um, we would like it if we won more often than we lost. I don't think that is a radical statement. Um, yet mm. we were routinely told that um, the best we could achieve under Ashley was 17th and we should be grateful for anything more than that. 
Um, that was the yarn that was spun by various, you know, various newspapers and magazines. Um, despite the fact that prior to Ashley arriving, the club had been consistently in European football. It had finished mm. runners-up in the FA Cup twice. It had been in the UEFA Cup. It had been in the Champions League. For me personally, I never, I never thought that Newcastle should start a season and necessarily be in the top six or seven. I never thought that. I just thought I would like the club to spend the club's money on the club. You know, and it, 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 yeah. it, 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 you know, we we were always a proxy for Ashley's other business interests. Whereas now, for whatever you know, for whatever uh, Faustian pact we might have signed with Saudi Arabia, we can at least say, in football terms, the club's priority is the club, and and nothing else. And that is that is all Newcastle fans wanted. Um, it's a shame that it's had to happen under these circumstances, but just focusing on the football. Um, I like the fact I like the fact that I know that if we win or lose or draw now, whatever the result, it is a result of the club doing the best that it can. We're not cutting any corners. Everything everything is done with the attempt to do better. Yeah, and Joe, it's it's refreshing to hear, you know, a a, a genuine football fan and, and somebody obviously that, that works within the industry as well and, and has this different insight to, to what an average fan would have. You know, it's, it's fascinating to kind of hear that 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 is genuine the expectations because you do read everywhere and unfortunately there are other sort of media personnel out there that will spin everything to to prove their own points and things like that and and spread essentially crap about the clubs and and spread sort of you know hate mail about the clubs and hate statements and stories etc and then we'll just twist that to however they want so it's nice to just hear the fact that you know necessarily the people that bought the club you know whether you agree with their background etc it doesn't matter their interests are the club and they want the best of the club every fan that's all you want from your owner isn't it yeah i mean i think uh look, I, th- I think um as i say it, 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 for me personally it would have been ideal if it happened under other circumstances but i think that uh you become jaded after so long after so long being um you know, being served up this existence, which was exploitative and, you know, frankly, you know, an abuse of power. Mm. Um, it was a very unhappy relationship. After a while, the there's a switch that goes off in your head, which is, you know, look, I just want anyone but him. Um, I don't think people necessarily expected that anyone to be the people who it was. But like, uh, mm. I try and I try and kind of give people that context in, you know, and I, I also want to add that, like, I don't for a moment think that Newcastle had it worse than other clubs like I think there are lots of clubs that were run badly and there were lots of owners who were worse than Ashley um don't dispute that but Mm. I don't think that just because there were worse owners that we have to be happy with our bad one you know I don't think you would you don't you wouldn't say that to anyone you wouldn't say if somebody said to you they were unhappy with their life you wouldn't say well you shouldn't be you shouldn't be unhappy because there are people who are unhappier than you that that's that's no No. consolation there's no no consolation (laughs) no exactly no exactly um, so I guess from a, a, a pure fan perspective, then what's the what's the summer looking like for you? What would you like to see happening at the club? Uh, big um, signings, you know, to, added to the squad. What what's your expectations and, and what what's your what? reality expectations? Sorry, as well. Well, I think the reality is that the the club are overachieved to get where they are. Um, if you look at Newcastle squad now, you've got a handful of players who are European quality, the likes of Alexander Isaac. Um, Bruno Guimaraes, Gillington, um, you know, these people will not look out of place when they play in the Champions League. And then you've got other players who will. Um, and that's no, you know, that's no slight on them. That's just, I think we're ahead of schedule. So I think you're going to need, you're going to need to inject a bit of Champions League pedigree and experience in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I refrain from using the word marquee. I can't, I can't see us going out and spend it, splashing a hundred million on a marquee player. I can't see that at all. But I do think we might target um, peripheral and squad players at bigger clubs than us um, to add that bit of experience. Um, so, you know, I see, I, I don't necessarily think it will be him because it's the water seems to have been poured right now. But there were rumours linking to Scott McTominay. And, you know, people saying, well, why are you spending money on Scott McTominay when you're the supposedly richest club in the world? Well, I see the logic. I see the logic because he's a homegrown player. Squad, you know, squad management is important. And, mm. you know, he ultimately, as a backup option, he brings a lot more experience and quality than someone like Jeff Hendrick, who's still on the books, you know, where there's a lot of deadwood oh, wow. to get rid of. Um, 
in terms of in terms of who I do actually think is close, um, as I understand it, James Madison now following Leicester's relegation, he might very well be an injection of star quality, star quality with a few years ahead of him. And mm. if Sam Maximan does leave, um, I think a James Madison replacement would be somebody who can play both wide and centrally. I would be all over that signing. I'd love to see him sign. Um, left back is a priority. Um, Dan Byrne has performed admirably at left back, but he is not a natural left back. Mm. He's also he's also a, a very decent option as a backup centre back, and he's performed very well. But I think we need we need a left back that can bomb forward and has a bit of youth and pace on his side. Someone who we've been linked to, I would love, is Kieran Tierney. If he's no longer getting no, in the Arsenal, I can't have it. He's one of my favourite players. I love um, KT to bits. Uh, but I think, I think it'd be fantastic. It'd be fantastic. I think Zinchenko's kept him out of the side. I think he wants yeah. to play. I think the difference mm. is he stays at Arsenal. He's going to be second choice. He comes to Newcastle. He'll start most weeks. Yeah. Um, he will immediately improve us. Um, I also think we need, we do need another winger. Again, the San Maximan conundrum is, me personally, I would like him to stay. Uh, I would like him to stay because I have such an affection for flair players. I mentioned Ginola, Robert, Ben Arthur. These are the, mm. these are the kind of mavericks. I think the game needs characters and these guys are them. Mm. But I appreciate that he is one of our very few. If you look at Newcastle squad, who are the saleable assets? Uh, who do other clubs want? Like I mentioned the Deadwood. Jeff Hendrick is a hard sell because Jeff Hendrick doesn't go for big money mm. and nobody else wants him. Whereas I can <laughs> see clubs coming in for the likes of Sam Maximan and Martin Dubravka and maybe Jamal Lascelles being linked with Burnley. I can see that transfer happening. You know, yeah. I can see. So, you know, what we need is we need to be able to offload players who will give us resale value and then reinvest it into, uh, reinvest it into a squad that is capable of playing twice a week. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. I'm quite intrigued with the whole you don't think there'll be a marquee signing thing. Because um, everyone, you know, City fans, United fans, you know, Arsenal fans as well, you all say we want these, you know, big signings. You know, Haaland was the marquee last summer. Arsenal heavily linked with Declan Rice. You know, I don't know it's only 12th of, uh, 12th of June now, as when we're recording. You know, they, it, again, it's a marquee signing. Um, Chelsea are linked with Caicedo quite a lot, probably 70, 80 million. That's quite a marquee signing. It's quite a statement. Um, it's interesting. You don't think you guys will do that. And I, 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 I agree with you, I think, as well. I don't think Eddie has I don't that think, sort of manager. If you look at the players we've signed so far, um, and I would say that so far the club's transfer business has been mostly on point. I think we've paid, we've paid a fee that has then been returned to us most of the time in kind. So, you know, if you look at... Bruno Guimaraes was a snip at 40 million. I think, you know, we sign him for 40 oh, million yeah. and he's and it's a bargain and he's turned into a 60, 70 million player who we build the team around. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was a very good signing. Dan Byrne, 13 million for, a, I think he was 30 when we signed him. That's That was a raised eyebrow signing, but we've def- just by staying up last year, we made that money back. Yeah, that's a we've shrewd had a move. The hmm. couple of duds like Chris Wood, 25 probably overpaid for him made a bit of a loss on him but again necessary evil at the time we needed we needed a body to lump balls up to up top and he did a job um what we haven't done is even when we've signed big like uh, alexander isaac for 62 million which is the record transfer fee i would say if you look at the age and profile of that player 62 million was probably about market rate i don't think Forty to forty-five million, which Leicester, having been relegated, I think forty to forty-five million for Madison is a good deal. But Leicester wants sixty million. I can't see us paying that. I don't no. see us being bent over a barrel and paying. We won't pay more than we want to, and we won't let this moniker of being the richest club in the world suddenly dictate transfer fees. We we ultimately, you know, as a buying club, you know, yes, okay, clubs are entitled to value their players however they want, but we're also entitled to say no. Um, yeah, so I don't absolutely. see. I don't see us. Um, I think the maximum we would sign sign a player for would probably be around the Isaac mark. But it, it, if that were the case, it'd be someone like. Um, I mean, we link with Saboslai, uh, you know, at Leipzig. Mm. He's got a release clause of sixty million euros. Well, if there's a release clause, there's not much negotiating to be done. So, if yeah. that happens, if if that happens, I can see us signing big players. But you know, Declan Rice, absolutely phenomenal player. Uh, I would love to see him play for Newcastle, but. I cannot see us bowing or kowtowing to West Ham's pressure, and nor should we. Mm. Um, 
No, I completely agree. Um, and yeah, I, I can't really argue, you know, with any of that really. You know, it, it makes perfect sense to, to sign those players. I mean, you know, you said Dan Byrne. I think that was shrewd. Kieran Trippier. I think he's he's worth every, every penny you've paid for him, just in leadership alone, let alone his actual performances. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, everything he's brought and the fact that he's got you guys into Champions League, or not him, but obviously the team. Um, having him as a leader there, you know, he's, he's been there, he's done it in Champions League for a while. He, you know, he knows his stuff. He's He's been there, he's done it all. And I think that's, that's you know, invaluable, I think. I think they'll. I think they will prioritise um, the system. Uh, do players fit within Eddie Howe's four-three-three pressing system? That'll be priority number one. Um, depth. Do they add depth to the squad? Can they? You know, did, can they play in multiple positions? I think the reason they like Madison so much is he can play as a number ten, and he can play as a winger, and he can play as a box-to-box midfielder. So he makes total sense, and he's good at set pieces. Um, and then finally, kind of like that experience and mindset. Um, it was interesting that we didn't go for Yuri Tillemans. He's, I think he's gone to Villa now or about yeah. to go to Villa. See, you, you know, Yuri Tillemans, uh, good player, um, good player on a free transfer, probably on big wages. Um, I really do rate him, but there must there must have been a reason why we didn't go for him. And I think part of it's to do with um, part of it's to do with uh, attitude, mindset. Is that is Yuri Tillemans going to want to come to Newcastle and you know rotate alongside Sean Longstaff, or is he going to go there? And think, no, I should be starting every week. Um, so we don't really, we don't really have a lot of capacity to cater to egos. And I think how knows that. So, talking of egos, what's uh, so we we had a conversation about uh, Jason Tindall a couple of weeks ago, and it's interesting. <laughs> it will be interesting to get a point of view from a Newcastle fan. Uh, yeah, it's kind of bizarre, isn't it? I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever seen an assistant manager have such a cultish personality. Um, yeah, he is just, um, he's like a, I don't know, he's just, you know, he's a good-looking bloke, and he he just uh, he just rates himself in every every <laughs> every sense of the term. Um, it's just, I think, to be honest, it's it's his influence and role within the coaching setup. Uh, is obviously best understood by the people around him. I think from a fan's perspective, I just find it funny. I find it funny that he's got this, um, you know, he exudes this spray tan confidence. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoy I enjoy the memes. I enjoy the memes and I enjoy... I can't believe he gave, he gave a post-match interview after, um, after we qualified for Champions League when we beat Brighton. I didn't know why they were interviewing him. But yeah, it's just a bit of fun, I think. Yeah, it certainly is. And he probably got the interview because he's all the talk at the minute <laughs> because of the memes and the Twitter page that's going on and stuff. So it's just interesting to get a Newcastle United fans perspective on that. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if you've got anything sort of really that you was expecting us to ask you or anything you wanted to sort of desperately get out to our listeners. Well, I think... Um... Look, Newcastle at the moment is uh, we're we're on the precipice of something really fun, really special. That's how I feel. Um, you know, the last time we were in the Champions League, I was a child. Uh, so you know, it's really special to be back in it. Back in it. Um, my hopes for the Champions League this season, honestly, just if we can get out of the group, that would be a bonus. And if we don't, then I want a glamour tie. You know, like I want to. I'm not really interested in being in the Champions League to just, you know, get a sticker for taking part. Like I want to mm. contribute in some way, whether that is whether that is contributing by, you know, progressing and like getting into the deeper stages of competition, which feels unlikely, or whether it is just like going up against Real Madrid and we can lose that game just as long as we don't disgrace ourselves. You know, mm. like I will happily now take a 2-0 defeat at the Bernabeu just to say, you know, we went to the Bernabeu and we lost 2-0. That is, if that is the um, if that is the scope of our problems next season, that is a long way from, you know, day. Like, I mean, I was at the game when we drew, uh, sorry, uh, when we lost three 0 to Oxford in the League Cup when we were back oh, in the Championship. Yeah. You know, we did go up that season, but we hadn't got. You know, the point was it was embarrassing to lose to a team two divisions below. You know, I've seen us lose to Stevenage. Um, seen as lose to, I mean, you know, even when Steve Bruce got us to the League Cup quarter final, we lost to a Brentford side that was in the division below us at the time. You know, I remember 
I remember actively envying Brentford, who incidentally have had a great season themselves. But yeah. I remember envying Brentford because they had a manager of the quality of Thomas Frank. You know, I, I was desperate for Thomas Frank to come and manage us. Uh, and I was told at the time, uh, you know, by multiple people, fan bases, other fan bases saying you're being unrealistic and deluded thinking that you can go and get the Brentford manager. And now uh, and now I would like to, although I am obviously over the moon with Eddie Howe, um, we've now we now look like we're going to be a club that does go and grow. And I'm excited for who we sign. I'm excited for uh, I'm excited to thank players uh, for their long service as they get sold. Like, I think. It'll be a few emotional exits this mm. this summer as well. Like, you know, um, I think Jamal Lascelles has been a fantastic captain for us, but ultimately not going to be part of the next phase. Um, but it's just nice. It's just nice to be in a good headspace about Newcastle. Like, I I think it's it really has like um, it really has the mood has shifted around the club, and that's and that's really nice to be a part of. Mm, certainly, yeah, agree. Um, and what do you think of the Premier League as a whole then with the dominance of Man City and what's happening there? What's your thoughts on that? Um, well, I think, man, firstly, I think the the, uh, the closed shop narrative of the Premier League is probably a bit overstated. I think, and that's evidenced by the fact that uh, the big six that Sky came up with haven't been the big six for a long time. They haven't been the top six for a long time. You know, I think the likes of, obviously, Leicester have gone down this season, but, you know, the Leicester season onwards, um, you know, multiple clubs have broken into that big six. Um, yeah. You know, Newcastle obviously this year, Brighton, um, Brentford. I obviously City have got the financial clout and the power. You know, they're in, they're 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 within their own their own little bracket. But I do think that the Premier League, like, there's a difference between spending money and spending money well. Like every club in the Premier League can spend big money. That the TV rights have guaranteed that. Whether you spend it well or whether you spend it badly will come down to how the club is run so i don't think that city having won the league five times in the last six seasons i don't think that is necessarily um an indicator that no one else will ever win the league again you know i i really don't think that i think you know um there are other clubs through being run in certain ways and making certain signings i do think that the league is still competitive i really really do believe that um and if you don't believe that then what's the point of following <laughs> following any club really like you've got to have something to cling to um whether or not i think i don't know about whether i don't know how soon newcastle will challenge for anything i think that might take a few years but you know i mean arsenal this year arsenal this year really did run city close and I, and I think like it's a young squad, it's got potential. I, I definitely think the league has still got competition to it. And then the likes of Brighton and Brentford, they're just phenomenally well run, amazing scouting systems. Um, I don't and you know I don't think it's a given now that just because Brighton have finished sixth, I don't necessarily think that they're going to struggle with Europe next year. I think they'll reinvest the McAllister money. Um, I don't think that the league is as uncompetitive as people fear. I, I genuinely don't think that. Um, as for City, though, one big asterisk, I would say, is while I have a lot of empathy for City fans for facing the same issues that we've got in terms of, you know, it's not on the fans how their club is run. So I don't I certainly wouldn't say to a Man City fan, it's your fault they've done this. But there is a big asterisk with their achievements. Um, all of these breaches and stuff, it can't feel good. Hmm. Um, the fact that it's going to take years for any of it to be resolved is frustrating. Um I think it makes a mockery of having the rules in the first place. I think that's one of the reasons why Newcastle are being so shrewd and so careful about transfers is they don't want to get into a similar situation in a few years' time. You know, City have really, like the owners of City, sorry, um, have really skewed financial fair play. I would probably be in favour of like more stringent things. Like uh, if I look at American American sports, things like wage caps, things like uh, transfer caps, I think these could all be good movements. But you know, then then that's a wider economic debate about what we think um, increases or reduces competition. But I certainly don't think that the league is is done now. I don't think we've become a one-team league, regardless of what the six seasons have said. I mean, if you look historically at, at English football, there were periods in the 60s, 70s, 80s, etc., where different clubs have gone through periods of dominance. You know, yeah. um, Wolves at one point were the dominant force, Liverpool, Arsenal, um, Man United, obviously, uh, Chelsea. You know, the City era, it, we're currently in it. Whether the City era lasts forever, I, I really don't think so. And I think once Guardiola leaves, that will blow the title race open again. 
Yeah, I do agree. I do worry that the dominance is going to be so strong because of the financial clout they have. And also FFP not doing the job of the FFP is always a bit of a worry for me personally. Like you say, we've got to wait years for the outcome of whatever this investor is, this investigation is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do. That is my worry. But I do agree. Chelsea spent so much money last season, at, and and ended up what's where they end up thirteenth, something like that. Oh, oh yeah, twelfth. Like 12th, this yeah. is the thing. Like if you Everton, Everton has spent over half a billion quid, mm. and they spent a lot of it on. They spent it on names. They backed massively opposite really different um, managers and systems. Mm. So, you know, you go from like Kuman to Silva to Allardyce to, um, God, I've forgotten who, who came after him. Um, you know, like, or, or, and prior to that, Martinez, like all of these different managers had such ranging styles. And then you end up with players that just don't make sense together. You know, um, you can spend money badly. So I don't, and I don't think, I don't think the narrative should be spun that, um, if City keep on getting their signings right, that isn't a, that isn't a, that isn't purely down to money. You know, mm. like you can say that football has been ruined because of Man City's money, or football has been ruined by money because um, now you get a hundred million quid just for taking part in the Premier League. So mm. everyone has a baseline which is higher than it's ever been. Um, I do agree that it's harder for some clubs than others. And if I go back to the Roy Hodgson interview, you know, when I interviewed him, uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, um, he, you know, Wan-Bissaka had had one season uh, in as a Premier League first teamer before he was sold for 50 million quid. Um, and I said to Hodgson, you know, it, it's really hard for you to develop anyone because they just get, end up getting sold. But he made a very good point, which he said, like, look, if you look at individual sports like tennis, the players that aren't in the top six they don't just give up just because they're not Federer or Djokovic right and mid-table clubs have to have that resilience that mindset that they can improve and they can get better it'll be difficult but there are ways they can do that and they can bridge the gap no that, that makes sense I like the analogy as well it's uh it makes perfect sense um I think we're we're pretty much done there I guess really um yep. so Rohan honestly I, I've loved today's chat I really appreciate you coming on yeah, we, we could talk all day about anything and everything, uh, just Newcastle, let alone football. Um, <laughs> yeah. I guess just one thing I just want to leave off with, uh, predictions for next season. What's your top four? Oh, uh, right. In no order. Uh, City, oh, Arsenal. You've got to do an order. <laughs> Put the pressure okay, on. All right, all right. I'll go, um, I'll go <laughs> City first, uh, Arsenal second, uh, to be honest, to be honest, to be honest, I do actually think. I, I, although I'd be happy with seventh, I do actually think the top four will be the same as this year. So City, Arsenal, United, Newcastle. Oh wow! I'll be. I'd no love to see no Chelsea. Interesting. I think Chelsea will be massively improved. I think mm. Chelsea will get back into Europe because um, Pochettino. I really think he'll do a good job. But I think there. I think there's going to be a teething period at, at Chelsea because, again. Lots of players signed as names rather than a system. It's going to take time to iron out those creases. But yeah. same top four next year. Perfect. Well, Rohan, as, thank you for as your we time. Said, it's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, we'll get this out as soon as we can, and we'll tag you in, and uh, we'll put a link to your to your LinkedIn so everyone can uh, check out your work. Um, but yeah, thank you for your time, and hopefully we'll get you on soon next season. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks, Cheers, mate. guys. Bye bye. Bye. Hi everybody. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please give us five star on your podcast provider, whatever one that may be, and help us hashtag drop the pod. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Robert, tell the people, what's a pretendian? It's just what it sounds like, Angel. A pretend Indian. Someone who fakes being one of us? Someone who impersonates a native. We're talking about real scammers and con artists. There are pretendians teaching at universities, pretendians running governments, pretendians in Hollywood. On our new podcast, Pretendians, we'll tell you the incredible story of these jaw-dropping frauds. Who are they? Why do they do it? And how the heck do they keep getting away with it? Listen to Pretendians on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Oh, 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 oh,